Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see everyone. We are just going to have a standalone sermon this morning. And we're going to look at Psalm 56. So you can turn this along, Psalm 56. And then, Lord willing, from next week, we will, uh, through December, build up to Christmas. So there'll be a theme probably going through first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And so please invite friends and family for that and don't forget the, the carol service as well next week. So let me read the, the psalm first and then we'll, we'll jump into it. <clears throat> Sorry. So I'm going to read the superscription. That's a little bit at the top. If you have your, your Bibles open, you'll see there's a little introduction at the top there. Not all the psalms have that, but this one does. So it says, to the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. I think the power, the, the generator has died. Uh, so it's going to change over to uh, ESCOM. Uh, but let me carry on. So verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. So I want to uh, go through this psalm and unpack it under three, three themes, three headings, and they all begin with T. So uh, if I phone you on Thursday morning and say, what are the three points? Uh, you better remember. The three headings are trampling, trusting, and thanksgiving. Trampling, trusting, and thanksgiving. Uh, and so we're going to jump around the psalm a bit, but let's begin with trampling. And that really is dealing with the, the situation in which David finds himself. Uh, the persecution, the trampling, it's a word that he uses several times, that he has been trampled upon, that's the idea there. But it begins with the superscription. So, uh, to the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. 
So not, as I said, not all the Psalms have this introduction. So many of the Psalms, we don't know what the situation was in the Psalmist's life. We can't be very specific. We, uh, we're not told. Uh, but it doesn't matter. If the Holy Spirit wanted us to know, he would have told us. Uh, we can still draw out the implications and the applications uh, because of the, the cries or the rejoicing, whatever it is that the psalmist is going through. But here we are told it was when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So uh, that takes us to First Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel 21, uh, David is persecuted by Saul. You remember Saul was the king of Israel and then God rejected Saul. Uh, and replaced him with David. And David is anointed in secret. Um, and he's told he's going to be king. He has to wait many years before the fulfillment of that. And in, during that time, Saul persecutes him and tries to kill him. And so he runs away from Israel. And he runs to, to Gath, which was the capital city of the Philistines. Okay, so you know things are bad. <laughs> When he's fleeing to the enemy's country. Remember David is the one who killed Goliath. Goliath was a a Philistine. Uh, So you get a sense here that things are really bad for David. In his own country amongst his own people. uh, He is rejected. He has to flee. He is a political exile. He's on the run. And so he thinks maybe I I can... you know, survive in Gath. Maybe I can get a job there. Maybe something can happen there. But when he gets there, uh, some people recognize him. And they say, isn't this David? They, they, they sing songs about this guy. They sing songs. They say, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And so they bring David before the, before the king of Gath, Achish, and uh, David has to pretend to be mad. Okay, so he starts letting spittle drop down his beard and he, he pretends to be mad. And Achish says, what are you doing bringing me this madman? Don't I have enough madmen in my kingdom? Uh, and so uh, he, he's able to get away in that, in that sense. He, he, he escapes later on. In chapter 22 of First Samuel, you can read it. He escapes from the Philistines and he goes and lives in a cave, the cave of Adullam. So things are not good. We get the understanding that he is in exile. He is alienated from his people. Uh, the enemies have also rejected him. Everyone, is, it seems, is out to destroy him, to kill him. Uh, and even in the superscription, the rabbis said, and, and we don't know, we're not, we don't understand um, these superscriptions properly. It says a mictum of David. Uh, what we think these superscriptions tell us is sort of the melody. Uh, but that's lost to us, unfortunately. So we don't know uh, what type of melody. But the rabbis tell us it would have been uh, sort of a melancholic melody. Uh, and that's from, it says, according to the dove on far off terebinth. So the description of a dove far away. Okay. A terebinth is a tree. So this idea of exile, uh, far away. So this is not sort of a happy, bouncy song. This is a song, more a lament, crying out to God to help him in the midst of exile and persecution. Uh, and so to start off to say, maybe uh, you have felt like that or are feeling like that. Uh, David is going to experience persecution from real human beings. 
And, and that is often the situation that we find ourselves in as well. But it's also broader than that. We know that uh, Satan and his demons are out to destroy God's people. Uh, we are constantly bombarded with what Paul describes as fiery darts. And so we are made to feel as exiles in this world. And that's a good thing, so that we don't set our affections on this world. We don't get too comfortable. Uh, this is not our home. And we're going to see that David looks at it. So he is trampled. We see that in this superscription. Then look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. The idea here is to be uh, hunted down. They are pursuing him. So you, you can see even the way that David is fleeing from Israel to, to Gath, and then from Gath to a cave, and he's constantly hiding. He's feeling pursued. He's not able to find rest. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. And so again, you get the sense of it's, uh, it's relentless. Uh, it's unending. Okay? Uh, maybe again you have sensed something of that. There seems to be no respite. Uh, there is this sense of, of alienation, the sense of maybe even despair, of fear as we'll see. And it is continuous. Uh, I've said this to you before, and you can see it even in the life of the Lord Jesus when he's in the wilderness. And the wilderness is a picture of exile. Remember that Adam and Eve are exiled from the Garden of Eden. Our Savior himself goes into the wilderness. He is crucified outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem, rejected from the, the city of Zion. Uh, but our, our Savior, even in the wilderness, there are all these waves, aren't there, of temptation one after the other and so it can feel like that it is relentless all day long he has been attacked he has been uh, hunted he has been oppressed uh, many attack me proudly or from the height and so sort of warfare language here it is good to have the high ground uh, just finished reading a book on the SAS in the Falklands and the, the these these elite fighting forces, they would always try to get the high ground where they could survey what is going on underneath. And of course, you can see if an enemy is approaching. Here, the enemy has the high, the high ground. They're persecuting David. Again, verse 5, all day long they injure my cause. Could be, your footnote will say, could be twist his words. Uh, they're slandering David. Uh, they're twisting what he says. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. Now, as I said, what is application for us? Certainly on a spiritual level, this is true. Satan and his minions are constantly out to destroy God's people. There is a constant battle. Okay? Uh, we have a day of rest, but you know... Uh, Satan doesn't take a day of rest, isn't that right? It's not as though you, you, you walk into this building and suddenly it's like just, wow. I just felt it. I just felt it. Uh, <laughs> if you did, come, come tell me. That's nice. Uh, uh, no, even as you sit there, what is, thoughts will come into your mind. Hey, there will be distractions, lots of distractions this morning. Uh, and... and there's constant temptation, constant trials, all the time. Satan is a thief. 
a robber trying to rob us of anything good. This is our period of fighting. This is our wilderness experience. But even in the midst of that, occasionally you may well have real people like David who seek to destroy. And in fact, we'll see when the New Testament writers quote this passage or refer to it, they are talking about those who seek to destroy the church. So don't apply this psalm to your neighbor who keeps parking on your grass, okay? Or to, you know, some difficult person in your life, your stepmother or something like that. Uh, That's not the application. It is an application to people who seek to destroy the people of God. To those who seek to destroy churches. False teachers. Those who slander and... Uh, oppress God's people. That is the application as well as on the spiritual level. And what do these people do? They stir up strife. They lurk. They're always watching. Remember the Pharisees with the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees fall into this category. Luke tells us they were watching him all the time. How they could trip him up. That's what they're doing here. They're watching David's steps. Literally, they're watching his heels, okay? How they can cause him to trip. They're going after his heels. So yesterday when we got home, uh, my, my son was playing soccer. So we got back home and there the security car was parked outside our property. Not, never a good sign uh, when you get home and the security car is parked there and security guard had already gone inside to do his rounds and... Um, as he was leaving, as he turned, our little dog went and bit him on his heel. Uh, but he had boots on, so it was fine. But, <laughs> but that's, the, that's the, the image here. Uh, the enemies of God's people and Satan are always out to, to catch us, to bite us, to hurt us, to call us to stumble and fall. It's the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 3. Remember the the first gospel message? After Adam and Eve have sinned, it says that there will be a deliverer, someone who comes, who crushes the head of the serpent, but his heel will be bruised. The imagery here is satanic. Satan is always out to destroy God's people, watching, looking for weaknesses. Those of you who know Greek mythology, if you think of heel, you probably remember It's even an idiom now in the English language. Achilles heel. Achilles heel. So uh, Achilles, I think his mom was Thetis. Uh, She was a a goddess, but he was mortal. Her son, don't don't worry, it's it's crazy stuff, Greek mythology. Okay, (laughs) Uh, But he, he is taken because she knows he's mortal, so she wants to protect him. And she dips him into the river Styx, which is supposed to give him his supernatural ability and protect him. But she holds him by his heel. Okay, first Peter Baptist. <laughs> she dips him into the into the river. Okay, holding him by the heel, and then she she takes him out, and it's that very spot where she's holding him, where he where he, an arrow hits him much later on, and he dies. And so we use that term, Achilles' heel, the weak spot in you. Satan knows your weak spots. He is he's watching you all the time. And he is out to, to get you on your weak spot. Have you ever thought that? Like, man, I could have handled anything else, but not this. Exactly. 
If you can handle it, it's not going to be a temptation for you. It's not going to be a trial for you. And so the Lord, remember God is sovereign. I'm talking about Satan here, but it's not as though Satan can just do whatever he likes. He does not have carte blanche. Uh, as Luther said, there is a devil, but he is God's devil. Okay? And so he is on a leash. He does exactly what God allows him to do. But he is out to destroy us and he knows our weaknesses. He is watching all the time. And so we are, in a sense, always being trampled. But how does David respond? And so that brings us to our second point, trusting. Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in in you. Put my trust in God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice David's response. It's, it's become default, hasn't it? It's become... A habit for him. He has learned this. This doesn't come overnight, isn't it right? It's not that uh, whenever there's trials, we automatically turn to trusting God. You have to learn that. And it's continuous, isn't that right? It's not that oh, you, 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 you've learned it and then you can let it drop. You can let it slide. It doesn't work like that. Nothing on life works like that. You can't, um, you know, sort of, when you're at school and you learn another language. Uh, and, and those of us who went to seminary, you know, you do a bit of Greek and Hebrew. Uh, but unless you keep practicing it, it, it drops by the wayside, isn't that right? That's what's going to happen. And so it's the same with these habits of trusting God. But in this situation, David says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, I also want you to notice, uh, no, David was afraid. Christianity doesn't say, you'll never be afraid, don't worry. David was afraid, but how does he respond? He puts his trust in the the Lord. It's how we respond to fear and temptation and trials. And the correct response is to turn to the Lord and put our trust in in Him. Verse 4, in God whose word I praise, and we'll come back to that, the importance of God's word. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. And so now I want to look at underneath this trusting some steps that David takes to enable him to trust the Lord. So the first thing he does is he thinks long term. Notice what he says at the end of verse 4. What can flesh do to me? And he says it again at the end of verse 11. What can flesh do to me? And so he starts to reason with himself I'm afraid I'm going to trust God, but how am, I, how am I going to strengthen my trust in God? How am I going to trust Him? I'm going to take steps. And number one, I'm going to think long term. I'm going to think, what can flesh do to me? It's a funny thing to say, because there's quite a lot that flesh can do to you, isn't that right? Uh, it, <laughs> It's people that are slandering him. People can slander us. People deceive us and lie to us. People can ruin your life. People can uh, torture you, maim you, kill you. Probably most of the most painful experiences in your life will be from people. People abuse one another and hurt one another and are cruel to one another. Flesh can do a lot, it seems. And yet David says, what can flesh do to me? What is going on here? Well, he's thinking eternally, isn't he? 
you want a theological term, he's thinking eschatologically. He's thinking about the last days. Ultimately, what can flesh do to God's people? The Lord Jesus said this, didn't he? Luke 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But notice what Jesus says. Don't fear people. The worst they can do is kill you. Uh, And for the Christian, death is an entrance into glory. Isn't that right? Death is, is the start of eternal life. Death is, is, is the entrance into glory to see the, the Lord, to be free from all suffering. And so you and I, in the situations, whatever, wherever you find yourself, have to think like that, have to preach to ourselves, what is the worst that can happen? I cannot lose my salvation if I'm a Christian. The Lord is not a loser. He does not lose any of his sheep. He will keep me to the end. The worst that can happen to me is death. And that is simply a doorway into glory. The writer of Hebrews quoting this verse. He has some application for us. Hebrews 13 verse 5. He says, keep your life free from love of money. So what is one of the number one things that stress us out? Money. Financial concerns. And so the writer of Hebrews tells his audience... Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Now that the church that he's writing to were being persecuted for being Christians. And they were having their possessions confiscated by the government. And so for them to follow Christ was costly, financially costly. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't, don't love money. Trust the Lord. Don't fear what the, these men can do to you. Don't fear what those who hate God's people can do to you. And he quotes Psalm 56. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can flesh do to us? And so that's the first thing he thinks of, long term, the hope that we have. And so think of that. Meditate upon that. Over and over again in Scripture, we're told to think about the hope that we have. Remember, Peter urges us to think about that hope, to get through current difficulties. Secondly, he thinks about justice. Verse 7, for their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. Sometimes Christians can battle with this idea of wishing justice on enemies. But you see, if you go against justice, you're going against who God is. Our God is a just God. And all of us should love justice. Your relationship with justice is determined by which side of the law you're on. If you're a criminal, you don't love the police. 
if you're not in a criminal and the police are catching the baddies, you love the police. You are grateful for them. And so we should be grateful for justice. Uh, we know that God is sovereign over everything, but what Scripture teaches is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. People who persecute God's people and seek to destroy God's people are not robots. They have chosen to do that. They hate the people of God. They hate the things of God, and they are responsible for that. And so we praise God for justice. Now let me add, one of the ways God is just is also by saving people. So if you're a Christian, you've experienced justice in Christ. Jesus took your place and paid the price. And so while we can, we can long for justice for our enemies uh, and also long for their salvation at the same time, because justice is be, has been met. And in fact, if you're a Christian, your old nature has been put to death because of its sin. God is just. And so think about justice. God is just. God, nothing, you know, an atheist has no basis for that. You have no hope if you're an atheist sitting here. You have no hope that things will ever be made right. Mass murderers will get away with it. Rapists will get away with it. Tyrants will get away with it. Christianity says no. Every evil act will be accounted for. Justice will happen. Thirdly, what does he think about? So he thinks about the hope, eternal hope. Secondly, God is just. He will deal with these people. And then thirdly, he thinks about God's nearness. He thinks about God's nearness. Look at verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Uh, some of your translations will say wanderings. Literally, the Hebrew word is nod. And maybe you remember that from, maybe you're reading Genesis. And uh, if you have families and you get your children to read it and it says he went to the land of nod and then there's a chuckle you know, from everyone. The land of nod, uh, where's that? Uh, it means wandering. Cain was exiled to the land of nod, to wandering. And here... David is saying, you have kept a track, you have kept account of all my wanderings. If you're a child of God, God has kept track of not, not just your physical wanderings, but all those experiences of alienation in this, in this world. And he says then, David says, you've kept count of my tossings, my wanderings, you've put my tears in your bottle. One of the most, to me at least, one of the most remarkable images in the whole of Scripture. Okay? We don't have any record of any culture having tear bottles. We don't know where this came from. Maybe it developed later after this psalm. But they, it's, it's such a powerful image. And what is, what is it getting across here? You can't capture someone's tears... Unless you write with them, isn't it right? Unless you're there, right next to them as they are weeping, catching their tears. And David says, Lord, that's what you have done for me. Okay. All my tears, you've been there, you've caught them all. Okay. 
That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He is our high priest who, who knows what we have gone through, who walks with us. When, you've, when you're crying at night or alone, whatever it is, uh, persecution, trials, your sin. Uh, the, if you're a child of God, the Lord is there keeping track of your sorrow. Entering into our sorrow. That's what the incarnation is all about. Not a God who is afar off, who's just wound up the universe and let it run and see what happens and we're a bunch of guinea pigs. But a God who enters into our suffering and our pain. Not even just coming as like a United Nations observer. Let me just see what's going on here. And then back to his hotel. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that would have been humiliating enough for God to do that. But he comes and enters into our suffering, is alienated himself, rejected by his own people. He came to his own and his own received him not. And so he knows he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isn't it interesting how the scriptures describe him? And uh, I was sharing this week as well, just again. When Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Do you know that one, one of the, the, the people that they liken Jesus to, or that Jesus reminds them of, is Jeremiah. And we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Okay. And so Christianity offers a savior who enters into your suffering, not just physical, but existential, emotional, Spiritual, psychological, on every level, he knows what it is. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. I want to die. I don't want to go through this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what it was to be alone, to be forsaken, to be depressed. And so, whatever you're going through as a child of God, he has the promise. David says, how am I going to trust God more? I know that you are with me. Even my tears You're catching in a bottle. What I'm going through is written in your book. It's recorded. And then what is the next step he takes to strengthen his trust? Verse 4. He thinks about God's word. Or he meditates on God's word. Look at what he says in verse 10. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. Uh, This is the only time he uses the word Lord. You'll see in your Bibles, it's in capitals, it's God's covenant name, Yahweh or Jehovah. And it's when he begins to think about the scriptures. How are you going to increase your trust in God? How are you going to trust God in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecution? Think on the hope that we have. Called to do that. Think that God will make all things right. Remember that he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And the moment you think he's the furthest away, he's the closest. Okay. And Tim Keller has an example. He says, as a parent, the child who's, who's having the most difficulties is the child you actually become closer to. You draw closer to that one. We're talking about loving parents, obviously. But that's the reality. 
The child who's struggling is the one you think of more and you're trying to figure out more and you're trying to see how can we make... That's infinitely more true of the Lord. He draws closer to us in our, in our suffering. We tend to think, oh, I'm sure he's with all the big shot Christians who have got it all together. Okay. Let me tell you, they don't exist. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are no Christians who, who don't need the Lord. We all need the Lord and he draws close to us in our sorrows, in our suffering. And then you need to meditate on God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to meditate on God's word, on his promises. Earlier on, David said, I won't be afraid because I, I have your word. We have God's promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so that's how God, our David fights for for trust. He's been trampled. He's suffering horrifically, persecution. But he's going to trust God and these are the means that he uses and they are the same means that we have to use. It was even this week I was thinking, just suddenly it was early in the morning I think it was, and my mind was spinning with things and I was thinking, but you know, you just haven't gone to the Lord. What is wrong with you? Like, have you ever had that? Like, why, why, why are you not just talking to the Lord about this? Why are you not unburdening to Him? That's what you need to do. Go to Him. Claim His promises. The, 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 the treasure room is open. The doors are open for us. Go in there. And get the treasures, get what you need, get the resources to fight this, this battle, to run this race. And what is the, the end result in closing? The end result is thanksgiving. Okay. Thanksgiving. Must be the same for us. Verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Uh, thank offerings, there were, some of the sacrifices were simply thank offerings. It wasn't for sin or anything, it was just to say... Thank you, Lord. And they brought offerings to the temple and said, this is just to say thank you. Okay. It's like we, we bring a gift, you know, at the end of the year. Uh, some, sometimes my students give me gifts, say thank you, or to improve their marks, I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just to say thank you. That's what he's doing. I'm just going to come and say thank you. Now I want you to know the situation hasn't changed. It's not as though the Philistines were just suddenly evaporated from the planet and Saul just gone. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed externally. They were still there. They were still the enemies of God's people. Saul was still there. But what is David able to do? He's able to, even in the midst with trust, thank you. So we need to learn to do that. Give thanks in all things. Don't just wait, I'll say thank you later, because we normally forget even in the midst of the situation, thank you, Lord. Because even in this, all things are working for good. Paul even quotes this, uh, this passage um, earlier on. If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay. Give thanks now. Learn to give thanks now. Do you think God has done something? If you're his child and he spared not his own son, do you think he's done something to you that you can't give thanks for? 
give thanks now. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to give thanks to God. I'm going to bring a gift. And thank offerings with also singing of songs as well. So learn to, to sing praise to the Lord. Okay? So we, we, have a, we get to do it here. Uh, you know, many of us have phones. We can play songs. If you don't have a good voice like me, then you can sing with other people. And let them, let them sound louder. But sing to the, to the Lord. Sing in the car. Sing in the shower. Whatever it is. Sing praises to God. God gave us music for exactly this purpose. To change our hearts. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. Satan and, and the enemies of God's people trying to get our heels. Trying to get us to fall. Ultimately to fall away. But none will, be, none will fall away that are his. That I may walk before God in the light of life. Wonderful picture. Walking in light. Walking in light. And it's a hard passage, hard thing to translate. It has the idea probably of, of in the light of God's face. To walk in light. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how dark it is, you know that. During load shedding, pitch black, and it doesn't matter how dark it is, it can't, it can't block out a single little light, can it? The tiniest candle can't be overwhelmed by the darkness. So no matter how spiritually dark the world is, no matter how much persecution and opposition, whether physical or spiritual, cannot block out the light. Light makes the darkness flee. If you're a child of God, you're walking in the light and you have the light of God's face upon you. You have his smile, his favor. Most glorious thing. Uh, we, we, we all sinfully live for approval from others. Even, you know, even the Goths or the anarchists or whatever say, I don't need anyone's approval. They still form little groups, okay? <laughs> Where they want each other's approval, okay? We all do. We want to be approved. We want some people to smile at us. Not inher- nothing inherently wrong with that, if that's ultimate. But if you're a child of God, you have the smile and the favor of the only one who counts, ultimately, God. And you need to hold on to that. It's the truth. He loves us. He's not there frowning over us. If you're his child. We are his treasure, his delight, his joy. He loves us. His smile is upon us. Does that mean he's you know, perfectly happy with our sin? No, of course not. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not that you're, okay, well, that's it, you're, you're finished. It's, it's not the way to go, my child. I love you too much. I won't let you go down that path. We have his smile. It must be our response. In those seasons, trial, persecution, trampling, opposition, temptation, trust in the Lord. And then give him thanks. 
And that's an act of trust, isn't it, right? This is an act of trust. David is not, nothing has changed, but he's thanking God already. And we can do that. Teaching Romans 8 at R&B Bible study. Paul gives the golden chain of salvation. And he says, glorified, past tense. We're already glorified. Now, in reality, we're not yet, isn't that right? I mean, I hope I look better than this in my glorified body. (laughs) We're not there yet. But Paul can say, it is so certain. I can write this in the past tense. It It is such a reality. It will happen. And so we can give thanks even now, trusting the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for David. Um, What an eventful life that man had. Uh, So many ups and downs. uh, Such a spectrum of emotions uh, and experiences. So many trials and so many joys and so much sin as well, Lord. And yet a man after your own heart, and we are so grateful for him. We thank you that you gifted him to be the sweet singer of Israel, that he wrote down his experiences for us, and they are written for us. All these things are written for us. We thank you that he points us to someone infinitely greater, your son, the Lord Jesus. If this psalm was true of, of David, how much more of you, Lord Jesus, persecuted, forsaken, rejected, people constantly seeking to trip you up and to harm you, even those closest to you. And yet you trusted your Father. You filled your heart and mind with Scripture. You looked forward to the hope that was set before you. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would help us as your children to live like that. Please strengthen us. Help us to trust you more, I believe. Help my unbelief, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.